Welcome to Ideas at the House, a podcast featuring talks and ideas from the Sydney Opera House. How do two parents who are blind take their children to the park? How is a mother with dwarfism treated when she walks her child down the street? How do deaf parents know when their baby cries in the night? Get to know the everyday of disabled parenting. Eliza Hull, Deborah Keenan and Sarah Keenan gather to share the joy and triumph and the difficulties of their lived experience. Amongst the challenges of microaggression, judgments and discrimination, these brilliant women will honour the incredible, empowering journey of having kids. Hosted by Lisa Cox, recorded live at the Sydney Opera House for All About Women 2022. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. And it is fantastic to be live again out in a live presentation. It has been a while, I must admit. I've come in from Brisbane today and I've been all huddled up inside for quite some time. So thank you all for, for braving the elements. I don't know how long it's been since you've been out in public, but it's been quite some time for me. So thank you again. It's really, really great to be here this morning. And Eliza's book is something to celebrate. It is really fantastic and something that we really, really must must all come together on because instead of jumping on Twitter and complaining about what wasn't being done, Eliza did something about it and she wrote this absolutely fantastic book. So today I love to be snoopy and ask lots of questions and deep dive and I've got some experts here and I'm going to talk <laughs> to them about parenting with disability. So... Eliza Hull is a contemporary musician, disability advocate and a writer based in regional Victoria. She's been published in Growing Up Disabled in Australia and her podcast series on parenting with a disability, We've Got This, was one of Radio National and ABC Life's most successful series of all time. She was awarded the Arts Access Australia National Leadership Award in 2021. If we could make Eliza welcome, thank you. And Eliza, if you could please give our blind yeah. viewers a visual description. Yeah, so today um, I have my hair down, I've got brown hair and I've got half my hair up in a bun. I'm wearing blue jeans, maroon boots, a red suit jacket and a black and white striped top and I have fair skin. Thank you very much. And our second panellist today, Deborah Keenan. Deborah Keenan is a visual artist, psychologist, academic and author. Her work... Apologies. Her work focuses upon the personal and social impacts of disability. Having dwarfism, she brings individual insight to understandings of the dynamics of interpersonal interactions and social structures that include and exclude the visibly different 
from Equitable Social Relations. And uh, Brett, if you could please give our blind viewers a visual description of yourself. Well, as it said in my uh, bio, uh, I am short statured. I have grey hair. I'm wearing a white top, white pants, but coral top underneath. And I have fair skin and um, green blue eyes. Thank you very much, Deborah. And our third panelist today is lovely Sarah. And you may have read that uh, there was another panelist who was going to be here, but instead we have a very special surprise for you. It is indeed Sarah, who is the daughter of Deborah. Give her a round of applause for coming in very unexpectedly at the last minute. We must thank Sarah very much for being here. And we do have another perspective as the daughter of a parent of someone with a disability. So although she's not a contributor, she is the daughter of one of our contributors. Now, Sarah is a vet nurse, also a former soccer player and swimmer. She is also, like me, not a parent, but the very proud parent of a fur baby. <laughs> so, Sarah, if you could please give everybody here a visual description of yourself. Yeah, so I am a 21-year-old short-statured woman. I have short blondish hair. I am currently wearing a denim jacket with a black dress and white shoes, and I have fair skin. Excellent. So... Now, we obviously had to, had to make a few alterations when, when things didn't quite go to plan, but <laughs> as many of you will, will appreciate, things don't go to plan in our lives, as happened to me last night when my shoe broke at the last minute and I had to roll around the fancy event with gaffer tape wrapped around my foot to hold my shoe on, but these things happen. And those of you who are parents or are expecting to be parents, Shit happens, and I'm supposed to give trigger warnings at the beginning of this event for, for stuff that may come up, and there's no bad stuff that's, that's expected to happen. The only bad stuff that will happen is probably going to come from me because I swear, <laughs> and <laughs> shit happens, and the only things that I will say are what the fuck what I'm talking about, some really ableist bullshit that happens when you hear the things that have happened to people like Eliza and people like Deborah. So I do apologise in advance. If there is anyone here that's offended by swearing, apologies in advance. So <laughs> it's been said. There's your trigger warning. I fucking swear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that goes on. So it's been said. Now, moving right along, back to the book that we're all here for, let's talk to Eliza about why you first decided to write this. What prompted you? Where did the idea come from? Well, gee, basically the idea came from my own lived experience. I have a physical disability, a condition called Charcot-Marie-Tooth. And all my life, I just had always thought that it would be a possibility to have a child. I lived in a family where, you know, the word disability wasn't used but still I felt very held and accepted by my parents. And 
they always just assumed that if I wanted to have a child, that was just something that would be possible. And yet, when I was overjoyed and very excited to think about the idea of having children, I went to see my neurologist and I said to him, I really want to have kids. I'm just so excited. I'm in love. And he, I remember just very vividly him just staring right at me and just the big pause that happened and then cocked his head to the side and said, um, have you thought about your options? I don't know whether this is going to be a possibility for you. I don't think that you should be a parent. Have you thought about genetic counselling? You know, have you thought about other options? And at that moment, just shame overcame me and I felt very vulnerable because I really trusted him. He was, had been my neurologist for a very long time. And you do, you, you, you trust medical professionals. That's what you're taught to do. And I remember just feeling like, what, what do I do here? And, and walked away from that experience wondering what were my options. Uh, bit by bit, I started to look online and find other parents with disability and started to form a bit of a community. Although, as I was Googling parents with disability, I also found these stories, and often it was portrayed that it was a burden for a child to have a parent with a disability. So the stories were very... Uh, they weren't authentic stories. They weren't accurate stories, in my opinion. They were sensationalised and based on the stigma that disability is a negative or a deficit. And so I got quite fired up very quickly. Luckily, I saw that there was a regional storyteller scholarship uh, going at the ABC, and I applied for that and said that I really wanted to make an audio series about parenting because I just felt like there wasn't any representation out there about parenting at all in terms of this space. And luckily, I was chosen as the first scholarship recipient. Uh, and the audio series was a real success, and Deborah was actually part of that audio series. And after the audio series finished, I just, in the back of my mind, just really knew that there was more to be, you know, more stories to be shared, and I'd always wanted it to be a book. Luckily, after contributing in Growing Up Disabled in Australia, I went back to that same publisher, Black Ink, and put it to them that there really needs to be a book out there. And here we are today. The book now exists, and it's truly incredible to have it out there, especially when disabled people are writing to me saying, I was questioning my ability. I was told that I shouldn't be a parent, and this book is enabling me to feel represented and seen for the first time and make me realise that it is possible to be a parent, and not only just a parent, but an incredible parent. So... That's, it's, you know, to me, it's really felt purposeful because of that. Excellent. Thanks for sharing that. And I read the book cover to cover, so I already know the answer in a lot of ways here, Deborah, but could you tell our audience how, how you were questioned and how that made you feel initially? Well, it was, it was quite interesting. I... My desire to have a child hit me at around about the age of 31. And I was not in a relationship. And I had uh, started to think, I thought about 
adoption. And at that point, I was in Queensland. And I made these inquiries. And I was told that because I was a single, pair, single woman and because I had a disability, I wouldn't be able to adopt uh, an able-bodied child. I would have to have a disabled child. It was like, it was almost this message that you're not quite, you know, you're a second-rate person and we're kind of, so you, you're going to have a second-rate child. Here you go. But anyway, I didn't go through with the adoption because I ended up uh, falling, falling pregnant. And when I... I actually, for various physiological reasons, I didn't know I was pregnant till I was quite ex uh, advanced in the pregnancy. And when I went to the, the, the specialist, the, the obstetrician, he looked at the report, which said, and he goes, mm, you should have come to me earlier. I could have done something about this. When I found out I was having a baby, I, I was just, I was overjoyed. I was, and yet, that, it was like, oh, you actually want to reproduce and you want to re possibly reproduce someone like you. Yes, I do. Thank you. And I think I did rather well. <laughs> In so many ways, that there is this implied message that somehow it's, there is this, you have a disability. So therefore, you're, there's this lesser person there. And like, again, my mother passed away three weeks before I had Sarah. Yeah. Mm. And so here I was very advanced in my pregnancy at my mother's funeral and I was talking to three women who I had known all my life from when I was... And I was telling them about, you know, that ba basically I'd had the ultrasound. I, I knew I was having a little girl and I was able to call her Sarah Elizabeth after my mum and that she was going to be small like me. And one of the women, she, her face dropped and she leant across and touched me. She said, oh, does that disappoint you? I just turned around and walked away. I went into the toilet and I tried to calm myself down. I did well at calming myself down. And I thought, here was this woman... I had known all my life. She knew what I'd done. She knew how my parents thought about me and felt about me. And clearly she looked at me and considered me a disappointment. Mm. And I know my parents didn't consider me a disappointment. I know. So this is the thing with, with people with disability, with disabled people. There are always these what I call microaggressions and they are just 
constant, either in language or just nonverbal actions, and uh, they accumulate, and we have to push back. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, and that's, that's one of the things that I want to swear about, but I won't. I'll stop myself again. <laughs> um, sorry, back to you, Eliza. I'm going to ask this question in two parts. What initially did you think were going to be the challenges when you were pregnant before you had your child? And then what did you find out in reality were the challenges? Mm, that's a great question. I love when someone says that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a great question. Uh, I guess the, the worries were how would I physically manage in terms of carrying my baby, carrying my child. I fall over all the time uh, regularly. So every day or most days I have a fall. And I was nervous as to how I would then fall with my baby. Uh, I was also nervous about being pregnant and falling. Uh, but I think I realised that when you're holding your baby, you're just... Everything is protecting your baby. Like, that's just the instinct. And so whenever I fall, I just held my baby. And it was just, like, an easy fall. Nothing was wrong. Nothing was affected at all. And in fact, um, it did only happen, luckily, you know, once. And... You just hold your baby right upright. There's no, there's nothing that is affected. Um, I think there are ways that I have it adapted how I parent. Uh, the ways that I get my child safely out of the car is, you know, leaning up against the car um, and, and moving my baby into the pram. Everything is just always done in a way that I can move my body so I can fit uh, my parenting with my body really is just using that adaptability and I think people with disability have to be creative thinkers and problem solvers and adaptable because all our lives for instance with me with you know getting upstairs I can't get upstairs and I will go to a building and think how am I going to get into that building so you have to be really just a problem solver in that moment so all my life I've been doing that anyhow so I just felt in the end I was actually really set up to be a great parent. And also I think creative thinking and flexibility, as any parent would know, is a really great quality to have because things change very quickly with a baby and a child. Mm. I think the thing that surprised me the most was the discrimination out in society. So people staring more. Um, people coming up to me on the street and asking whether they can pray for me. It's just mm. that happened more when I had a baby for some reason. I think it is that. I just don't know what it is, but they just... People find it problematic that people with disability are having children, and that's a reality. It's unbelievable, but it is a reality. So I think the discrimination was just something that I just wasn't really ready for. Of course, I've had discrimination in, in my life, but for some reason when I had a child, it just got, you know, became bigger. It became a bigger problem. Uh, also within the medical f system, I didn't know that I would constantly be questioned. You know, for instance, even after having my first child, they said that I shouldn't have my second, <laughs> you know. they. 
um, when I was having the ultrasound, they would try and make sure that my child wasn't going to have my disability and just constantly screening and asking questions and the concerned. And for my per first pregnancy, they didn't let me move. They, you know, made me sit on the bed because of fear. Because And I wanted to move around, I wanted to have space, but I just wasn't allowed. And luckily, with my second birth, uh, it was the, the opposite, because I knew my rights at that point. And uh, so I did move around, and it was a much, a, a far better birth for me because of that. So I think I wasn't ready for that discrimination and wasn't ready for the attitudes that I would face when I became a parent. Someone who's going into the hospital system or becoming pregnant, what would you suggest to them in navigating the hospital system or navigating the, the maternity wards and, and those sorts of things? What would you tell them to look out for? I would say that that is the most common thread in this book, is that most, if not all, the parents in this book have faced discrimination in the medical system. And really, it goes down to attitudes within this, the medical system, lack of education around disability. And so I would actually ask if I was the, the, the parent or the person that's going to become a parent, I would really just suggest that they do train, have training, disability training. Are they having disability awareness education within the hospital? And if not, why not? Uh, that would be my first question. And just saying that this is, I have this disability, but I'm, I am set up to, be, to, to give birth, if that's your, you know, how you, your choice. This is my rights, know your rights, and um, don't, don't let anyone tell you otherwise, because they generally do. <laughs> they generally do. And mm. so that would be... Yeah, my, my definite on that. Um, I think that there's a, there's a real issue there. And not only just in terms of uh, discrimination when you're, you're birthing your child, but also when you have your child. For instance, there's two deaf parents in the book that speak about when they have their child and their child has the, um, the screening hearing test that is um, common. Uh, and recommended and just the the nurse first of all not even being given an interpreter while they have their child like how <laughs> and then so they're having to lip read at this point and the the nurse is just excited and happy and overjoyed and and says congratulations <laughs> you know they're not like you they can you know your child can hear like, imagine someone just being so excited that your child's not like you. It's just, that's, that's so hurtful. Mm. Um, and then also another wider issue is, is parents with intellectual disability. Mm. Um, straight away, child protection being called. Mm. Parenting is a hard thing for anybody. It's an isolating experience. We don't, we generally don't raise children as a village anymore, where it's, we, we are isolated and we just have to learn that it's, it takes time. And, you know, as our babies develop, it's, you know, it's developmental. And yet we expect parents with intellectual disability to have one or two, you know, maternal health visits at their home and just, 
you know, okay, you can parent on your own now. And then our children are taken, and research shows that it is far better for the child and for the parent to live together and be together with supports in place and with education. And yet these options are not being given to these parents. There is no education, no help. And so children are being still taken into child protection, into care, without that help being offered, without that support being offered. And this, I think, is actually the biggest issue. Also, sorry, I'll just keep going, but NDIS as well. I mean, I wanted something to just be able to give my baby a bath, just a, an adaptive technology. And I could, they didn't, they said no, because they saw that my baby was not me. So they didn't want to support me through my NDIS plan because it's not something that directly involves me. Being a parent directly involves me <laughs> when you have a baby. And yet I had to, yeah, I just cannot believe that that was not funded. And yeah. these are the, the big issues. And this is, you know, where we need to really put our, our time is into government, into the NDIS yeah. and into the medical system. Yeah, can we have another hour yes. so we can talk about the NDIS, please? <laughs> 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 My gosh. Um, Sarah, could you tell us what it's like to have or to be the child of a parent with a disability and how awesome it is? Like, I personally don't know it any other way. Yep. So, for me, growing up, I had mum up until I was, like, a teenager. So, it was never any other way. How we did things was just our how we did things and everybody else did it differently. Um, so, to me, us using stools was just very much just like, well, that's, that's just what you do. And other people not having to use them was like, as a young age, was, like, weird. Because I was like, how do you not need to use a stool? <laughs> like, that's the cool thing to do, you know? Um, and so it was always just something that I experienced. I don't know it any other way. And I wouldn't want to know it any other way. Because, of course, having a parent with exactly the same disability, mum's lived through everything. She's already figured out ways to better support me and her and just generalised living. So... I would, it's not necessarily easy, I would say, but it was easier to have someone to lean on at every aspect to go, I don't know how to do that. I don't think I can do that. And mum just turning around being like, just figure it out. I figured it out. This is how we figure it out together. This is how I do it. Do you think you can do it this way or how do you think you can do it? Mm. So it's all just adapting and it's really a learning experience, but not only for you, but for everybody else around you, like going to schools, of course. I went to an able-bodied school, so everybody else was average height. And so you end up teaching them how to accommodate for people with disabilities. So it's not necessarily just me. It's maybe 200 other people that understand how to assist people with a disability. Um, and it just... Yeah, I think it doesn't just impact me, it impacts everyone, and I think it's for the better, mm. if you ask well, me. <laughs> it was very interesting when Sarah was growing up. <laughs> Obviously, we have to climb a lot, we have to move, we move differently. And being aware that this is, would be a requirement in Sarah's life, I would be, we would be out in public and, and you know, I would stand back 
and Sarah would be trying to get into something or try, and I would be standing back. And, we, and people would actually try to intervene and go, oh, why don't you help her? Why don't you do... Oh, can, can I pick her up? Can I do... And I go, no, no. I, I knew she needed to learn how to do these things safely. And yet, on many occasions, I couldn't be trusted as the parent that I knew what, you know, I, I was doing. And uh, so it's, it's, it's interesting that that point of intervention that people feel that, uh, you know, you must be incapable or thoughtless or... or unsafe. Or, or unsafe mm. when <sighs> we've lived our lives like this. Mm. <laughs> mm. Okay, and... Eliza, I know in the book um, some parents, quite a few parents, talk about how disability gave them some sort of, or having disability gave them some sort of a preparation, I suppose, for parenting. Um, one that I personally re related to was parents with chronic fatigue, for example, and that's something I have amongst other things. Feeling tired all the time, they were like, well, you know, being being tired with with children, like, well, now, that's been me for 20-odd years. Welcome to my world. So when they became a parent, being tired, no big deal. What um, of your disabilities gave you preparation when you became a parent, if that makes sense? Yeah, I mean, just speaking on that, Lisa's piece... Um Sorry, can you hear me? It's okay. Go oh, great. All right. Uh, Leafa's piece, so she has chronic fatigue. And I thought it was really interesting in her piece that she says when she would tell people that she's tired because of having chronic fatigue, for some reason, people either just didn't believe her or disregarded her or often would she be met with, uh, you know, discrimination. But as soon as she said, I'm tired because of having a child, it was suddenly accepted. Yeah. So I thought that was really a strange. I heard that. Yeah, and I thought that like, OK, so that's quite God. telling really, isn't it, where our attitudes mm. shift. Um, in terms of me being prepared, uh, I guess, you know, I'm all, I, as, as someone with a physical disability, I'm constantly fatigued and I'm constantly in pain. So I actually feel like the birth potential as hard for me <laughs> because I've had to so much surgery. I've been a wheelchair user all through my life due to all the surgery. And I have dealt with a lot of pain in my life all through my childhood. So I think I was just really ready for that and it, was, it didn't affect me. It really affected my sister who's non-disabled. Uh, a lot more. So that was just, yeah, interesting. I think also, just as I said before, just around the, the problem solving and the creative thinker, somebody that has a physical disability. I feel like I might be... Can, can I jump, yeah. jump in there? For, yeah. for me, when, when I found out I was uh, pregnant, I went into a mantra. Please let it be a little girl. Please let it be a little girl. Please let it be a and <laughs> the reason for that uh, was very practical. Uh, I knew I was going to be a single parent. 
and I actually did not have a preference for whether the child had my condition or not. That didn't bother me. I mean, why would I discriminate in that fashion when I know the pain of discrimination myself? No, that didn't. My focus was on having a little girl. It was the girl <laughs> thing that I was... Simply because uh, knowing I was going to be a single parent, right, uh, I, Sarah's father is average height, which with our genetics meant there was a 50% chance the child would have dwarfism, 50% average height. And I just kept on thinking, could you imagine having an average-sized male teenager? <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, oh... With all due respect to the gentleman in the room, I, I just thought, oh, could you imagine a bolshie 14-year-old, you know, that's probably, you know, all my nephews are well over six foot. And I, I just thought, oh, the images just went... <laughs> and so, for me, it was more thinking about the ease of uh, parenting a teenager. <laughs> but, um, yes, it's, it's interesting, the, the challenges that you... Uh, foresee, but for me, it was the teenager. That's what the challenge is. You that was yeah. the challenge, <laughs> teenager. <I'm scared. laughs> mm. And Sarah, we've got a lot of people in the room here who are probably toying with the idea of parenthood. And is it something you see in your future? I would love to be a parent. Like it is definitely something that I want to do, whether I have one or three. I don't think I could do more than three, but <laughs> I would love to become a parent. And I was raised by a wonderful woman who set an example as to how I want to raise my kids. Um, and I think it's just something that, as a child growing up, you, when you read books or watch movies, the disability aspect of parenthood is never shown. You don't read a book about parenting with a disability. You don't watch a movie with a woman who's a mother. You don't hear about it. And I think this book is a great way to start that conversation rolling and start bringing that into just generalised media that everybody can see that isn't just sought out by women who are wanting to get pregnant who have a disability. It should just be generally accepted that any woman who feels the need to have a child can and will have a child. I don't think it should ever be questioned. Yeah. yeah. And Eliza, you said before that some of the, um, I suppose, the obstacles or the people who were really challenging were in the medical system. Who were some of your greatest allies with pregnancy? Hmm. I guess um, my, my mother-in-law and my mother. Uh, yeah, really incredible support network. And also my, my husband as well. So awesome. definitely an ally there. He's, yeah, just an incredible person. Excellent. And there are t at times where you get that pinch of envy that of the things that he can do with the kids that I just can't. But ultimately, I truly believe that 
having a disability in our family, having a person with disability in our family makes our family richer. And um, it's so incredible to hear my daughter say it out loud that she's got a mum with a disability. Mm. And, you know, I just truly believe diversity is what makes this world beautiful. Like, disability is not something that we need to get rid of. Mm. And I think that's why, really, these ingrained beliefs, that, that is really where it comes from, that mm. disability is something that should be, you know, eradicated. Yeah. And it's just inc incredibly hard. Community mm. is so important. And thank you for putting an event like this on mm. today because, I mean, I'm, I'm not a parent and I, you asked me to write to write a piece about the book and I said the, commu the disability community is, is a minority but the parents with the disability is a minority within a minority and I can't imagine for a minute how isolating that must be. So for everybody in this room, please keep in touch because community is absolutely everything. Follow Eliza on, stalk her on social media, on Instagram or whatever you have to do because keeping in touch, keeping the, the disability community together. If you are if you are parents with the disability or parents to be with the disability, then that that too is really, really important because we have we have to support each other because yeah, black minded people we have to we have to stick together with this with this sort of thing because nobody knows you when I say we, I'm not a parent, but you all know what <laughs> what each other what each other are going through. I've posted a, a few things on social and other people have reached out to each other and said, oh, I've, I've done this and I've done that. And the connections that have been made have been really, really, really special to see. So I asked, sorry. Can I just jump in there? So, sure. You know, talking about disability and, um, you know, when I talk to my students about disability, it's interesting. Disability is, is the one group that cuts across and includes all other groups, uh, diverse groups of uh, humankind. Uh, so, you know, women with disability uh, cuts across race, cuts across all sorts of minorities. So it is the one group that everybody has the potential of becoming a member of. So really, disability is the one group that everybody should have an inherent interest in ensuring that society is equitable and fair mm. for people with disability. Because as I say to my, my students, I, I say to them, I hope you all become disabled. I hope you all become disabled. And you can see their, their faces. Mm -hmm. And I go, and I say, why do you think I say that? And their hands will go up and they go, because you want us to know what it's like. Mm -hmm. No, there's another reason for it. Oh, because, you know, if we have it, then, you know, we'll think of other people. Ah, oh, there's another reason. They go, and I go, because it means, at the very least, you have lived a long life. Mm. 
because with age comes disability. Mm. So I hope you live a really long life. <laughs> and so your physical condition will change. Mm. And so when you think about it, disability is an inherent part of life mm. and an inherent part of living. And so therefore, mm. it, it shouldn't be something feared mm. or excluded. It should be something that we consider it is an inherent part of living. And so therefore, let's consider it at mm. all aspects. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Just a reminder, just a reminder that we'll be taking questions at the end as well. So get all of your questions ready to be nosy and ask our panelists as well. And Eliza, what would you say is the number one or two or three advantages of having a disabled parent or auntie? Um, yeah, like I feel like I answered that question in just saying that all of these parents in here, um, whether they have chronic illness, whether they are deaf, have intellectual disability, um, any disability at all, that children in these families are thriving. And in fact, the, the children in these stories that have a parent with disability become inclusive, kind, open children that grow into young adults. They are the future children. And I know, in my personal experience, for instance, I was standing in the kindergarten line and um, a parent was there with their child and the child said, well, why does she walk like that? Why does she walk like that? And the parent didn't want to step in and talk about disability. So even though I had just that week before spoken about how I have a, a physical disability, the parent lied and said that I'd been in a bad accident. And I just thought, OK, do I go down this path with this parent and this child? And no, at this point, no, I wasn't going to step in this conversation because we had to move along the line into the kindergarten. But I just remember my daughter just looking up at me and saying, Mum, that's not true. You have a disability. And she's just smiling and so happy. And that's the, the child that I want to have, somebody that is accepting, somebody that is kind, and that will be kind going forward in the future to all people. And each family in this book really shows that, that... You know, for instance, Ali Mae Barnes, who couldn't be here, unfortunately, she's not well. And her chapter is such a great example of that, where the principal actually rings her and says, Ali, I just want to let you know that your child, Dylan, is constantly there when a child falls over. We'll pick up that, the child and ask, are you OK? Your child is so kind, so inclusive. He is an incredible person. Well done. Mm. And... These are the children that are in these families. They are kind and inclusive. And so I think that is a real quality. For me, I would like to think that all parents, everyone here in this room who has been a parent or an uncle, auntie, whatever, I would like to think that 
everybody's purpose in, in being involved in, in a child's life is that the child becomes a decent human being, a decent, nice person. And so for me, it's about how they treat other people. Mm. And if there's one thing about having a disability, you know what it's like to be treated badly. Mm. You know what it's like to be treated with respect. And so if there's one thing one hopes you could do is model to your child how to treat people. Do you mind if I just ask, ask you a question, though? I'm just curious. Yes, yeah. Go for it. I just think often I get asked by parents, I'll get, you know, messages on Facebook, and they often say, how do I... What happens if my child stares? Or what happens if my child asks a question? Or oh. am I, are oh. we allowed to step into that conversation? Or should we not? I think that's off the question I often get. Well, See, I'm a real believer in that telling somebody to... Like your child, shh, don't look. Oh, yeah, it's creating I Creating more yes, stigma. Yes, yes, I, I agree. What do you think? And I, how does I that agree. play well, out with you and Sarah? Yes, well, we've got the, the situation that there are different... I mean, we look visibly different. I, you can't deny that. And it is instinctive in human beings to look at uh, a novel stimuli... So to, to use a psychologist term, novel stimulus. Uh, and so some of, we look different. So, of course, there is... But there is a qualitative difference in looking to accommodate and, and understand and then judging. Mm. There is a decided difference. And I'll tell uh, this one... I have two quick stories. Like, when I was... This is before I had Sarah and I was in a bank... And this mother came in with a young child. And the young child sees me. Oh, you know. Mum, why is that lady so little? And this woman, in, you know, just blurted out. So the whole bank could hear. I'll tell you why she's so small. She's small because she didn't eat her dinner. So if you don't eat your dinner, you're going to grow up just like her. <laughs> well, uh, I saw red. So I turned around and uh, I basically said, excuse me, I did nothing wrong and neither did my parents. And I addressed the young lad and I said, basically... Darling, I was just simply born this way. And I was so... I just walked out of the bank. I didn't do the transaction. But that's what I call careless parenting, mm -hmm. without thinking. And then we had the other incident, which we talk about in the book, that Sarah was involved in. And there was we were up on the central coast and we had our puppy dogs with us. We needed to go to the toilet. Sarah stayed outside with the two puppies and I went in. Anyway, unbeknownst to me, this young boy came by with his mum and was fascinated at the fact that Sarah was there. You know, when you're nine and you can eyeball a, 
an adult, you know, that's a big deal, <laughs> you know. And it so had this reaction to Sarah and then came into the toilet and was walking up the, the hallway to the toilet as I was walking down. And he stopped dead and he looked at me, he goes to his mum, why are there so many of them? <laughs> The dear little fella. Well, you could see his mum just, you know, she looked at me and smiled, you know, just thought, oh, right, can somebody dig a hole and so I can throw myself <laughs> in? You know, anyway, I walked out. I just thought it was so, the innocence, it was great. And I, I walked out and, uh, you know, said, talked with Sarah. And anyway, the mum came out afterwards with a little fit and she came over and she said, oh, I just want to apologise for my young, my, my young son. And she said, I hope he didn't hurt you. He said, but I explained to him that there are big people in the world and there are small people in the world and we're all different and that's okay. And you know, I said, that's perfectly fine. Mm. And he'd lost his curiosity. Mm. He'd become more interested in the puppies mm. then. And that's what I call careful parenting mm. because she was thoughtful. She was thoughtful of us. She was thoughtful of her child. And that, that made a massive difference. Mm. The two modes of parenting and I'm assuming neither of those parents had a disability. So one of them parented incredibly well and the other uh, a little carelessly. Mm. Yep. Mm. So yep. it's about how you raise the child that mm. really matters. Mm. Well, I think it's about time to go to questions now. So, did anyone have any questions that they would like to ask our lovely panellists here today? At all, they've... Oh, there's one out the back there. Okay, great. I'm okay. just going to reiterate that question. Mm. And, um, so I think that more, is it you just said, how did I select the, the contributors? How did that process start? And then also, was there anything that surprised or shocked me? Okay, great. Uh, so it was a really hard process to um, choose the contributors. Uh, yeah, big. Um, I had done the audio series with the ABC, so there were some parents that were um, then included as part of the book. There was also, I wanted to make sure that I included a broad spectrum of parents with um, different disability, and also parents that uh, were part of other minority groups, so parents that were from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds, uh, parents that identified as queer, parents that were First Nations parents. 
So there was a, and then also location as well. So varying location around Australia. Huge process, took me a very long time. I also then just wanted to do a call out that was just to everybody. So whilst I drew, drew on my connections that I had within the disability community, I wanted to make sure that there was a fair process. And so we put a call out on lots and lots of different uh, Facebook groups, women with disabilities, uh, organisations, um, and various other organisations, and also just parenting Facebook pages. So huge lot of emails that came through and just writing list after list and then sent um, quite a, a long list to the publishers and then they also then inputted into it to make sure that we had just a really great cross section. I think that this book could be times 100 <laughs> in terms of the, the parents that I wish that I could, in, could have included. So I feel like ultimately you can never get it perfect. You can never feel like, you know, I'm not completely satisfied, but maybe that's, who knows, it might be a number two or a number three. That would be fantastic as more, more um, parents emerge as well. Uh, but I'm very happy with these stories. I also, as I was um, working on this book, worked very closely with each contributor so there was a lot of back and forth with edits and uh, working out content because I also wanted to make sure that we covered different things in each chapter. Uh, and then there were some people where I interviewed the person and then I wrote up their piece for them, um, which was an accessibility option for that person. It was a long process of long nights, <laughs> uh, but I got there in the end and it was such an incredible relief just to have that completed. It's very exciting that the US and the UK have bought the book as well. And so there's going to be an overseas version with overseas contributors. So it just feels really great that this book is resonating. And we, we have 20% of the population in Australia with a disability and 15% with at least one parent with a disability. And yet there was not a book out there that existed. And I, so it's just so incredible to have this representation out there. The thing is, in terms of answering your question around the things that surprised me, I think, to be honest, I knew about the discrimination. I, I know what it's like to be discriminated at in society. But reading Deborah's piece about the bank story, I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked. I just can't believe that that happened. I, so, yes, I was very surprised. I didn't think that it a person could, could do that. There's a lot of hurt in this book uh, because of the attitudes. I truly believe that the world is disabling. It's not our disability. It's actually the attitudes that we face that is the most disabling. I think each chapter really shows that. I also was surprised by some of the vulnerability that people really shared. Uh, Micheline Lee is a wheelchair user. Um, and she's Asian. She just spoke about how she had to mask when she was going through the adoption process. Um, she had to pretend that she could cut vegetables yeah. when she had uh, the person coming to see whether she was fit enough to be a parent. So just, I was surprised by that as well. I was, uh, again, I was also surprised by her vulnerability in sharing that she has felt shame 
um, that when she, in her piece, she falls out of her wheelchair at school and her child didn't want to come near her because he was embarrassed. And I think just showing that vulnerability, that it, this is a complex part of the human experience, and, but we all feel these emotions. I think I was just really very, very happy that she felt safe enough to share her, this vulnerability. Um, yeah, I mean, I learnt so much through these stories and ultimately they are human stories. They're interesting stories. You know, they answer questions that, you know, how do two deaf parents know their child's crying in the nine? How do two blind parents take their child to the park? And ultimately, what it comes down to, again, is just create creativity mm. and flexibility and... Ingenuity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, being and, and adaptability. Mm. And I just, yeah, I truly believe that this shows that, you know, <laughs> I was going to say the line, but we know that we have got this, mm. that we can make great parents and that we should be given the right to parent and that we shouldn't be judged and we shouldn't be questioned. So I hope that I mean, if you do read that, that that's what you get from this book. It is. It is really, it is, it is quite uplifting as well for parents who perhaps are with a disability, as I once was on my husband and I didn't end up having, having children, but were once on, on the edge of do we, don't we? And looking for a book, looking for a resource like this, would have been good maybe 10-odd years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so anyone in that situation, this, this is quite an uplifting resource. Just sort of answer those questions. How the F do blind parents, deaf parents, women in wheelchairs, men in wheelchairs, et cetera, et cetera, people with disabilities do, do all these sorts of things questions you may have, this is a sort of book that answers that because as Eliza has, has said, it is, um, it is really, really intersectional and does cover off quite a lot of disabilities. So mm. I, do, I do encourage you to buy the book and um, recommend it to friends, friends without disabilities as well because that's certainly what I've done. Um, my, my sister who doesn't have a disability, friends who perhaps aren't here today, but considering, considering having, having children later on down the track, parents who perhaps have children who are a little bit younger, who aren't ready for kids yet, but we're now tucked away for later. That's yeah. also a good idea. It's been great to have um, parents reach out with children with disability and go, oh, this is such a great resource for me to read now looking ahead for my child's future, yeah. but also as a resource for their child as they, you know, grow up. So that's been another great... Um, I would like to think it's, it's, it's very hopeful. It's a it book is. about hope. It is, definitely. And it's about... It just shows that it's a book about the human condition. Mm. And, you know, we, we've got this and, and the capacity of all of us to actually modify what we do, how we do it, and, and that is the human condition. Mm. And so, yeah, it's, 
I find it very, uh, very constructive and very hopeful. Mm. And that's how I would like to think it was uh, yeah. experienced. Gave me a lot of smiles, a lot of giggles. There was a, there's mm. a lot of humour in it as well, which is great. Yeah. I have to admit, having the the launch in Castlemaine recently, we've done a couple of launches, and it was so incredible to see GPs there, and my GP as well. GPs, medical professionals, just filled in the, in the audience. And that, to me, is just great, because I really, as I said previously, I feel like that's where we need to see a lot of the change yeah. in yeah. attitude. So it's great that medical professionals are reaching out for this that's, book. Mm. That's excellent. Sorry, is there a hand up down the front there? My vision's no, not great. Awesome. Yeah. Sorry, I just can't see it. Is there any more up the back? I don't know. Okay, if there are, sorry, can't see that. Shall I ask? Mm. Yep, go no? for it. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I'll, I'll remember this. But in relation to, and also I know you've got still, like you said, two children. So now, what is the, you know, like the experience in that when, um, you know, in your, in your book, you've got a variety of ages mm. disabilities and that. Has time made it better? Is it making it, is it less reactive in that regard? Is society becoming, which is what we want mm -hmm. to be inclusive and accepting some of the stories that, you know, that you do, that you, you witness and even maybe between your two children having... Yeah, I, I do. I'm hopeful, actually. Yes, I still, I'm finding that... Uh, parents are still reaching out saying that they are facing discrimination in the, again in a lot in the medical system. But I definitely think, I mean, even just having an event like this, having a book out like this, having um, an accessible stage, these are the things that often just don't exist for so long. And I am feeling, yeah, as a parent, more accepted widely in society. So yes, I'm I'm hopeful. I truly believe that we are seeing change and shifts in attitudes. It's happening, definitely. I, I, it's my belief. What about you, Deborah? I think it is. Yep. Slowly. So I was going to say that. Yes. <laughs> well, so much still needs. Slowly. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes it does feel like two steps forward, one step back. Yep. Uh, but we we just have to keep going, and it's through advocacy that we do keep going. And so, you know, hats off to people like Eliza uh, and the other advocates, some of whom I know are in, in this room. Um, and it it is, it is chip away, chip away, chip away, chip away. But we will get there. We've got this. <laughs> <laughs> If you have any questions coming through on Slide at all, if you have questions that perhaps you didn't want to stand up and talk about your uterus in public, as I did to Deborah last night, <laughs> feel free to text them through on Slido, and that's that's yeah, you've got completely one fine Are we allowed to have as well. More? We do have a question down here though. Yep. Last okay.
Do you want to go first? Or? Well, I have to say, I wasn't given a choice. Yeah. I, uh, so, unfortunately, I never got the option of speaking with a midwife. Uh, but if I had, it would be a case of um, trust the person. Mm -hmm. They know what's best for themselves. They know their bodies. They know their capacities. And, um, yeah, that would be my main message. To right. be honest, I think, um, you know, as somebody that's been medicalised all my life, I feel like, in a way, birth, again, was that really... It can be really medicalised. It can actually be seen almost like a problem that needs to be fixed and as something that could go wrong. Whereas I really believe in the model, again, of just letting the person speak what's best for them, trust them. And because uh, ultimately we, we know our bodies and we know what we can and can't do. So I think take it out of that fear-based, medicalised space. And it's all about yeah, autonomy of um, yeah, ourselves as people that experience disability or, you know, so that would be my first uh, piece of advice. And I think ultimately what you could do is just around education, is listening to people with lived experience, having people uh, provide training that are disabled and seeking out those experiences and stories and getting that advice and input from people with lived experience. That's, yeah. And that feeds into the birth, uh, the pregnancy, and also post as well, uh, feeding into the attitudes that we face. You know, often it's always, again, seen as a problem that needs to be fixed. Often parents say that social workers were called straight away, child protection was called straight away, um, are facing discrimination of yeah, what the parent can and can't do. So these are the shifts that need to change and ultimately will come down from listening to first people, you know, speaking in a yeah. first-person way. There's the... haven't been in a maternity ward, obviously, but absolutely having someone with the lived experience, no matter what the... what the... what the situation, but Deborah, Eliza, any other... any other parent, um, get them in there first and start with someone with a lived experience and go from there. Yeah. Always. Yeah, and also asking, like, what are your access needs? I think that's such a mm. question that's just so simple as well. Like, what are your access needs? And, that, and do you need, you know, for someone that's deaf, do you need an interpreter? I can't believe that you even... That there's so many hospitals that don't provide an interpreter. So you're just at that. Like, what can we do for you? Um, that's a question that I would definitely ask. Like, I don't... Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say that, like, for instance, um, the two, there's two parents that are blind... And uh, when, um, so Ben's the father, when uh, they were in the hospital and Leah was there as the, the mother, 
he didn't he hadn't been familiarized such a word familiarized with the hospital and wasn't given a you know, a description of where the hospital toilet was or offered to be shown where the coffee is. And because he's blind, he couldn't navigate the hospital. So these are just these simple ways that we can just make it more accessible as, you know, what are your access needs? If you are blind or have low vision, would you like us to give you a tour? Uh, if you're deaf, do you need an interpreter? Um, you know, if you're neurodiverse, you might like certain lighting to be um, up or down, sound to be limited. Just these questions are so important and yet often are forgotten. Mm. Okay, we definitely need to wrap things up. I'm so, so sorry, but I'm getting the wrap-up call and we've run way over time. Wow, about. sorry. So, <laughs> thank you all again so much for coming today. It was a real pleasure to be here. Thank you, thank you to our panellists. Would I be able to just say... Can I just say one more thing? Please, please. Uh, sorry, please. I just wanted to say um, that unfortunately it's a COVID protocol that we're not able to sign books today. That's been changed. Oh. But books are still for sale. Buy the um, book, buy the book. <laughs> in the, really, in really the do. area down there. Or the there. audio book, because I, I listened to the audio book. I didn't into the hard copy, but the auto book is, is brilliant if you want to do some laundry while you're, while you're listening like I did. But, um, yeah, the book is, is well and truly worth every cent. But thank you again for thank coming you. today. Thanks so much, everyone. Watch this talk and others at All About Women 2022 on stream. The new streaming service from the Sydney Opera House. Register for free now and start watching. Follow the Sydney Opera House on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook.